We have not had the opportunity to meet. My name is Erica Jordan Thomas. I am CEO and founder of EJT Consulting LLC and Get Launched Consulting. And I am excited to have a conversation with Becca Silver about her consulting journey in her business. So Becca was a member of Cycle 3 of Get Launched Consulting. And so we're going to dig into her journey tonight. So welcome, Becca. Show her some love in the chat. And, and welcome are here. And Becca, I would love for you to just start off by giving us like your education movie trailer. Like tell us about your story in education. Awesome. Okay, cool. I kind of think of it a little bit like the three T's of how I made it here. Cause a lot of people kind of ask me like, oh, how'd you do it? Right. Okay. So I, I, I started out as a teacher and you know, that, that was the foundation of like my passion for education. And I always consider myself part of the education system in some way, always. And then travel is my second T. I have lived abroad for three years. I lived in South America and Africa for three years. And that really impacted just my, my view on life, like living in third world countries that are like, very different than us. And we just don't, we don't get the kind of experience that we have living here. And then my third T is transformational leadership. And there's a couple kind of parts to that in terms of my journey with that. When I started coaching teachers, I also became a life coach and I saw like there was a huge cross section in the skills that I use between coaching teachers and my life coaching. And so that was a huge turning point for me. And then also my business serves coaches and then transformational leadership, getting that like I can empower school-based coaches with my knowledge of coaching. Awesome. You're getting lots of love in the chat. And um, someone wants to know, which country in Africa did you live in? Tanzania. Thank you for asking that. Awesome. Awesome. So that's a, it's a really, really rich trailer that you've had some, the breadth of your experience is not just domestic, but also international as well, which is really interesting. And hearing you talk about transformation, which I know that's a huge part of your business. So give the folks an outline of your business. Like what's what's the problem that your business is solving? So my business is called The Whole Educator. And the problem that my business is solving is I work with school-based coaches to help build their coaching skills in empowering educators. And what that looks like is what my philosophy is, is that school-based coaches come in with a lot of content knowledge and I kind of help with the rest. I help with the skills on built, shifting mindsets, shifting beliefs, hearing what's really going on, getting at the source of things. So really uplifting their amazing content knowledge. So it sounds like your your target client you would define as instructional coaches. And I'll ask the follow-up question because I know the answer to the follow-up question, but I'm going to ask it for the audience. Is that accurate or would you define it as something else? Oh, the, yeah. That my tar- yes, my target client is instructional coaches. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's coaches. What I'm... <laughs> It's so much fun doing this because I find different states call it different. I mean, this is maybe the role in schools that has a ton of different names. And so I'm careful 
to not call it one thing. And so instructional coaches in some states and in facilitators in another, teacher leaders in another, lead teachers in another. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to say school-based coaches because I think so far that's the term that has reached the breast and, and wraps around and people can identify with the most. Yep. Yep. Cool. So how did you land on that problem for your business? Like what was there like a light bulb moment that was like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm like really amazing at this. I have a superpower and like, this is what I want to explore. Or like, was there some other like experience that you had that made it really clear that this is what you wanted to center your business around? Thank you. It's such a great question. My journey was a bit of a bumpy one to get here, honestly. And I did a bit of toggling. So I started coaching teachers first and I did that for years. And what I found is I was coaching teachers in different schools. And what I found is when I was going in to support teachers, I would naturally find their coach. I intuitively knew this person within the school can help empower what I'm already coaching them in. And so I would find them. I was uh, like a a light stalker with them, really. Uh, Like, if you hide, I will find you anyway. And I, I found very naturally that I was finding these coaches over the years and that I was making this profound difference with them. And they would say things to me like, no one's ever helped me before. Mm. You're the first person that's ever like helped me grow and develop. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And I kept coaching teachers for a while. And so when I really launched my business and I, I did this toggle thing where it's like teachers, coaches, teachers, coaches, who are my people? I re- I just, I mean, I had to sit and get quiet and get present to <laughs> which, which was, I'm like a go, go, go person. So like having to really center myself and ask who, like, who am I meant to serve here? Coaches was the resounding answer. Oh, I love this language of get present because, you know, as I talk to a lot of educators that are interested in consulting and they're struggling with with what problem they want to solve. I love what you're sharing is that like it took some reflection to be able to to land on that as as someone who has many gifts and talents and has done different types of work. Um, I'm hearing you name that reflection was key as well as like you had some some evidence of what other people were reflecting back to you mm-hmm. that was a strength and a superpower of yours. So I, I love that. Oh, this is a good question. Someone just dropped into the chat. How does one get present? So when you say get present, what did that look like for you? That looked like sitting on my couch, <laughs> closing my eyes and taking deep breaths sometimes. It's it sometimes, honestly, um, getting present looks different. And sometimes that's what it looks like. Sometimes it looks like going for drives. Fun fact, I learned a Sarah Blakely who invented Spanx. She also goes for drives and I get really, I get, I don't know it. For me, I, I'm on the go so often and my brain is working so much that it helps me to drive. It, it's like mental white noise a little bit. But for about half the time, getting present means I'm sitting, I'm focusing on my breath, and I'm allowing thoughts to arise and float by. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of like, you know, like clouds, like I kind of treat them like clouds, like, oh, there's another one. there's another one and I'm not I don't grab on to them and after a while my mind gets quiet Mm. and then and then after the the quietness 
there's like a little voice that comes up and says things. And I'm like, oh, like this is after all the Mm -hmm. noise. And that's part of the thing that I coach people. And really, we have so much noise going on in our heads. We need strategies to get to get present and quiet. Yeah, I love that. Um, It reminds me of a quote that I've heard and I cannot recall who said it, but the mind is like water. Once it becomes calm, it's clear. And so I'm hearing you name that there was a number of different strategies that you use to be able to to calm your mind, Mm -hmm. to be able to set the stage for more clarity. Someone just put into the chat the terms mindfulness or meditation, Mm -hmm. and that looks different for different people. And I heard you name a couple of strategies for yourself that allows you the clarity to really reflect and go inward around Mm -hmm. what are my true strengths? Mm -hmm. What am I really passionate about? Mm -hmm. What have I heard other people reflect back to me, Mm -hmm. the impact and change Mm -hmm. that I've made? So I love, I love how you're you're providing this like really really technical and specific example of what this looks like for you. I want to say one more thing about this too. Mm-hmm. I had to give up like getting clear about who my people were. I had to give up some false narratives or, and mindsets that I had around what was easy, Ooh. what had been done before, and I had to I had to give that up. Like it was what I'm doing really is new. It doesn't exist, really. There's no there's no market for it yet. Mm. Not a huge market for it. And so I had to get... I, that was a big thing I had to give up. Mm. And so what were some of the narratives? Because I, I know you use that language. What did... Uh-huh. Give us an example. I have no idea how this goes. How does this go? Does anyone have a map? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, oh, so this this narrative of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Yep. Of like of not having a step by step plan or the Mm -hmm. path kind Mm -hmm. of laid out. Yep. Of moving past the fear of the unknown to to go for it. Oh my god, I love this so much. So okay, so let's take a a quick step back. Like, why did you want to start consulting? Like what was, what was kind of your motivation behind that? I wanted to impact the education system from outside the education system. And I wanted to do it in the way that I wanted to do it. And I knew, like, I just, I knew it, it, it is, it was going to take me making the rules and me calling the shots and me dealing with the fears around all that too. Like who put me in charge, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's, there's kind of, there's that. There's those narratives that come up with every step of the way, right? So it's like, you know, my my deep, deep commitment to impact the education system, right? And then the kind of narratives that come along with it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm a, I'm a culture nut. Like, I'm like all about, I believe that district culture and school culture normalizes everything that happens in that school mm-hmm. and that district. And so I'm really out to impact those cultures. Oh, you made me, the words you just made me um, think of was just like freedom and power. Yes. And <laughs> the, the freedom and power that comes with, with launching your consulting business, which is not easy. It is uh-huh. like anything worth going after that results in freedom and power. It takes work. And I hear indirectly you naming those terms. So tell us what was the, the hardest part of like you launching your business? What would you, and you were kind of starting to name it, but I'm, I'm curious for you to hear you name it directly. 
Yeah. Um, honestly, I would say social media. That's what comes to mind in terms of the heart, like just the world around social media. And I guess, well, there's two hard things. Uh, the hardest thing was picking my lane was like, this, this is my, right. Cause there's so much back and forth. And when I finally said, this is it. Right. And there was so much clarity. Mm, well, I remember this moment too. Yes. Yes. You, you were there for the clarity. You were there for the toggling. And you know, it wasn't, it's just, it was kind of a little bit of torturous, the back and forth. And when finally it was like, okay, this is it. Boom, clarity. And then the second hardest thing was figuring out social media. Like I've, I've been learning so much about algorithms and, and how to find my people. I know they yeah. exist. I know the problem exists. I know that I can help serve so many people. And mm-hmm. how does one, you know, how does one reach them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell us about your first client. So I feel like, and I, I say this question kind of slowly because, so you were already starting to consult before you, you joined the program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I would, I would love to hear how you found your first client and then even now, like how that strategy has evolved just as you're continuing to build your business. Well, I would say this, my first kind of client on like really representing the fully formed as the whole educator was my, my group coaching program. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, it's not, it wasn't like a school district or, you know, a, so it's a number of there are five school-based coaches that are incredible in my program. And so they were all my first clients. And how mm-hmm. did I, did I, and you said, how did I find them? Mm-hmm. They were people that I had there. Some of them were people I had worked with in the past. And some of them came from like people that I had met in social media, really. Mm. So I love what you're naming Becca indirectly. And the, the question around finding your client or clientele was a question that someone submitted. And I, here's some language that I like to use for folks. And you're, you're saying the same thing mm-hmm. is that you already know your first client. You just mm-hmm. don't know it yet. And it's yep. a matter of finding them and putting in the strategic work and intentional work to figure out where they are, but you already know your first client or you are one degree separated from your client or your second or third client. And so hearing, you know, for your small group coaching program, that a lot of those clients came from your existing network, I think it definitely um, affirms that. Um, How did you land on small group coaching? Because in terms of like, you know, other avenues of maybe one-on-one coaching or professional development, how did you land on, on small group coaching? I took a look at how I want to, how I wanted to impact my coaches. And one of the resounding things that I'm committed to doing for my coaches is helping them build community because naturally the job can be pretty isolating. There's one of, of, there might be multiple coaches in a school, maybe two, maybe three. They're not coaching the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very isolating is one of the pain points. And so I, I wanted to build community. So I, I knew one-on-one coaching could be effective and not, not fully part of my commitment. Mm. So I knew I wanted to do something in a group and then it was like, okay, well, do I want to do like regular webinars? What? And I, I knew I wanted something like a series, 
And so it, it, the structure of group coaching and having, I have six modules, you know, have it, it, it naturally fit into what I was committed to creating for my coaches. Mm. So a community experience. That's, I, I love that. And I think this is really important for folks who, you know, are thinking about consulting and thinking about their services. Like part of this is really thinking about like centering the needs of, of your client. And so obviously we each have gifts and talents that we can solve a problem for our client. But also part of this might be like, what type of experience do you need to construct for your client that is also going to help solve the problem? If it's community or support, maybe you're not the direct vessel for that, but you're creating the conditions for that to happen. And so what did you do to learn more about your client? And and I, because I don't want to make the assumption that like, you just magically knew they needed community and support. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you, how did you get affirmed in that? I uh, know. Thank you for asking that. That no, it, it actually. I took. I did quite a bit of work around it. Quite a bit of work. Once I identified who it was, I really. It was like once I identified the role, I had to get the world around. Who are they? What do they like? What do they? Where? Where do they go clothes shopping? Like I really dug into. Who are they? What are their priorities in life? How long are they spending at work? What do they care about? What don't they care about? What are their pain points? And that I'd say the biggest, most rewarding work that I did was work around their pain points. And so I started to write out what I thought their complaints were. And then I started Mm -hmm. to talk to my coach friends and interview them. And it was so powerful to say, hey, I have this list of complaints I think you might have. Would you just affirm or not affirm whether these are actual complaints of yours? Mm -hmm. And they, it was some of the most fun conversations I've ever had. Because they, they were just like, yes, yes, yes. You know, how often does someone call you up and say, hey, I think I know what complaints you have and, you know, be able to, to say that to you. So that was that was me getting the world around who my who my people were and what their concerns were. Mm-hmm. So market research, I'm hearing, is a strategy yes. that you you leveraged. And I think this is so important because for us as educators who have the unique gift of launching education consulting businesses. So we are are launching and solving problems in the sector that we have experience in that we can often take for granted that we know the the problem or we know Mm -hmm. we can make assumptions around our client because Mm -hmm. maybe we previously served in that role or we have certain experience. And I hear you naming that like you didn't make that assumption. You still talked to coaches to get really deep and immersed in their experience. Yep. To be able to reflect back to you how you needed to to message, how you needed mm-hmm. to construct an experience mm-hmm. that was meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot us a little bit because and you started to name this, and I think this is so important of just like the mindset work around launching your own business. And so talk to us about that. Like what did that look like for you? It looked like me trying things and then getting stopped and and having to, oh gosh, it was like, this is what it felt like. If it was like a fly on the wall, you'd see me take a couple actions and then get freaked out and not do anything for a couple of days. And, <laughs> and I, w- I would have to, the, the mindset work, I'm trying to think of specific experiences so people can start to, I mean, some of them, you know, I'd say one of the one of the biggest mindset hurdles, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot. And, and one of them was around my value. Mm. 
So Ooh, when it Becca, came- I think you about to preach. Go ahead, talk <laughs> about it, Becca. Talk about it. Yeah, it was it was really confronting for me to when it came time. I had created my all my modules. I had, I had my program set. I had my my people in mind, right? And I was ready to make the price, and I was totally out of my mind about it. I couldn't figure out. And my mind did this thing where it was like totally underpricing myself and then not, you know, and I had to really sit down and um, with the help of really help of coaches, like knowledgeable mm. people, I had to talk to someone outside of me. I think mm. that was the biggest thing. I had to talk to other people that were knowledgeable to really get what my value was in pricing. Oh, this is so good because this comes up so much for people. What new messages did you have to tell yourself that allowed you to get clear on your value? And what? And I don't even think it was. And maybe it wasn't clear. Maybe it was like you already knew it, but you were like, "Oh my god!" Like it's, it's yeah. like it just felt uncomfortable. So, like, what new messages did you have to tell yourself in order to like fully step into your value and own it? I had to say, I had to say this to myself because well, one of, one of the one of the pieces of like the mindsets that I ha- I was saying to myself was. Uh, people in education don't have a lot of money. Like they're not going to want to spend a lot of money. And I had to, I really reframed it to, how does it sound in my head? When people find value in something, they will pay. They'll find a way. And you know what? They have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They have. They just will. People will find a way. People Mm -hmm. spend lots of money. And I also, this is kind of like not very, uh, you know, you know, but I, I also say this, people spend lots of money on, crazy things all the time. Like mm-hmm. it's been, yeah, it's been $2,000 on a bike. Mm-hmm. I mean, do that. You value In schools bike. pay a lot of money for things. Yes, exactly. And school, right. Schools have a ton of money. Yes. Mm-hmm. They will find money. Mm-hmm. I've had, I've had so far, I've had schools add money to different buckets to be able to pay for my program. I've had coaches pay out of pocket. I've had a number of different things happen to make this happen because the coaches value my work. Let's sit in it for a second. Sit in it for a second. When people are clear on the value, they will pay. They will. They will pay. And I love this because I know from, from, you know, our conversations that you have, just as you said, you've had people who have been able, because they're clear on the value that you're bringing, you've had teachers or instructional coaches that have negotiated with their principals to pay for your program. Uh-huh. And so like, like just being able to, as, as a, a CEO of your business, uh-huh. being able to be really clear on your value, to stand uh-huh. in your value, uh-huh. Uh-huh. as well as help to know your target audience well enough to uh-huh. know the different options that they have to uh-huh. be able to, to enroll in your program. So they could come out of pocket or this could be something that could be professional development funds from the school. I, I love, love, love this journey that you're talking about around value and pricing. What, because you were, you were saying a piece earlier around coaching. Mm-hmm. And I know you said this a second ago, is that you love coaching. You I deeply do. value coaching. Mm-hmm. And so... For someone who is is still continuing to grow and develop in their business, mm-hmm. I think some mm-hmm. people could struggle with 
well, I'm still growing. I haven't, you know, generated the level of revenue that I want to yet. Like, Mm -hmm. should I just keep grinding until I get to some revenue or should I, when should I invest in coaching? So I would love for you to Mm -hmm. just kind of share with people how you approach those decisions around coaching and support. Cause I know some people struggle with like, with when to tap into a coach. How do you think about it? I have very strong views about this. This has been my experience in life. The essentially the more I pay for a coach, the more value I get. And that has been time and time again. And I've had many, many coaches from different kind of areas in life and they've coached me in different things. And like the more I pay for a coach, the more value I get. And so the biggest pivots in my life that have led me to this spot have been because when I didn't think I had the money, I put down the money anyway. And, you know, I also, my experience also with coaching is that my my coaches coach me into creating revenue that pay for themselves as well. So that I have all sorts of mindsets around coaching that like, uh, all my coaches have paid for themselves with their coaching. <laughs> uh, and literally the, the biggest, the biggest rewards or the biggest results that I've caused in my life were from coaches and coaching programs that I paid the most for. Ooh. So in other words, Becca, you bet on yourself. Yes, exactly. Yep. That's you exactly bet it. on yourself big time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of betting on yourself is investing in your growth and development because mm-hmm. you know, if I could just figure this thing out, yeah, yeah, the way my business is about to pop as soon yeah. as I figure this thing out, yeah, yeah, Becca, you're saying so many like beautiful, indirect, like mindset stuff as yeah. an entrepreneur. Like, yeah. was that something you always had, or did you like grow to that place of like betting on yourself? I developed it. I was a teacher when I started paying money for growth and my own growth and development. Mm. And I started to, my eyes started to open to the impact I wanted to make. And Mm. that's, it just was like this. And I was like, Oh, and then, and it would, and then the next step was, well, if I want to make a bigger impact, how do I do that? And then it would take the next step and I take the next course or the next coaching you know, situation. And it was always just kind of the next, and it was just kind of an unraveling of it. And it's so much mindset work. My coaches give me very little strategic knowledge. Very, Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's very little do this, click there, enroll Mm -hmm. in this. It's so much about my mindset that's gotten me here. Mm, that hits for me because, you know, the, the, and we talk about this in the program is that entrepreneurship is a consistent mindset journey, consistent between your beliefs in yourself, between your beliefs around money, uh-huh. beliefs around your value. It, like there's, there's consistent mind work that it's never a destination. Uh-huh. It is always a, a consistent act of, of awareness and management. Uh-huh of when it, that mindset pops up, the goal really isn't to, for it to never pop up. It's just managing it quicker and, and, exactly. and better and more effective. And you've, you've shared so many examples mm-hmm. of, of the mindset work, which just makes, it makes so much sense in terms of, of what's happening in your business. If folks have any other final questions, go ahead and drop them into the chat or into the Q&A function. But Becca, what advice would you give to 
educators who want to launch their consulting business. This is, there was a question we got earlier uh, that was in the spirit of this. What advice would you give for someone if you had to go back to yourself at the beginning of your journey? What would you tell yourself around launching your consulting business? Two things. One is find your lane and get real clear on it. First, don't do anything else. Don't register your LLC. Don't go buying your website. Don't do anything. Figure out your lane. And the second thing is get a coach. Ooh, I want to pause on that for a second because those were two Twitter gems. (laughs) Find your lane. Don't get an LLC if you don't know your lane. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do not spend money if you don't have your plan on how to make money yet. No, it'll be a lot of spinning wheels. A ton of spinning wheels, a ton of delay of revenue where you put out an expense of because LLCs cost money and you've put out this expense and you don't yet have the revenue generating setup that is you, you want to be clear on your lane. Okay, so here's one question that we have. How did you figure out how you would charge for your services? So what were some of your strategy behind pricing? And then how do you strategize on marketing yourself? A few strategies on how my pricing, I looked at how much school districts actually pay for professional development like mine, like real-time value. There are huge education companies that charge a lot of money. And if you have not seen, I mean, really like do your research on how much money school districts are paying for professional development now. It's a ton of my thousands, tens of thousands of dollars go out. And they usually ain't good. Yeah. So they usually ain't good. So that's one, one strategy. That's probably one of the biggest strategies. And then the other one is I talked to a knowledgeable coach. And I, I you know what I, I didn't do? is talk to people that weren't in my situation. Ooh, say more about that. What do you mean by that? I just, I didn't talk to people not in the educational consulting business. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not getting advice from people not in this business. Because mm. I, this... I I'm, I'm not interested in someone else's narratives about money that hasn't done their own work. <laughs> I'm about to be laid out, Becca. Ooh, you bet. Ooh, okay. There's two things that you just said that I'm going to pause on because, and you getting some love in the chat too around this. So we're just going to sit in it for a second. School districts and schools pay so much money for professional development experiences. And the majority of the time, I'm not saying all the time, the majority of the time, they are delivered by people who don't work in education Mm -hmm. or have never worked in education. So imagine you as an educator who has direct experience with the problem that your business is solving and you have solved it before, you have now crafted your solution into a business If anything, you deserve to be paid the same, if not more than what Mm -hmm. they were charging because you actually got the solution. Mm -hmm. So I love this point that you are making because a little bit of this, like this mindset that we have in education as educators, we have actually been socialized to undervalue our experience and our expertise. Like that's what education has done for us Mm -hmm. for 
centuries. Mm -hmm. They have undervalued the profession and we have internalized that undervalue. And Mm -hmm. so when we then go into launch our own business, Mm -hmm. we have all this mind trash around Mm -hmm. how much we should be charging. Mm -hmm. When in reality, we have so many receipts Mm -hmm. and we got the juice Mm -hmm. that like, we need to be multiplying what yeah. other people charge and putting that as our price tag and then add, add 20, 30%, just in case mm-hmm. someone wants to like, they're a little needy, just add 20, 30%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I love, I love that piece that, that you were naming and, oh, you just said so much good stuff. And so I think we had one other question is, is it you and your business or do you have employees? It's me right now. And I'll I'll say this, this is very purposeful. When I grow, I'm not interested in diluting my product. Right now I am my product. And when I grow, I will I will train coaches to do what I do, but it will be intensive training. I'm not interested in in multiplying in a way that I see often in education where it's like, here's a script, here's a manual, follow the manual, and and we're we're not doing that. So I'm Mm -hmm. very intentional about growth. Yep. I love that. I love that so much. So I love this question. I'm just going to add my two cents into that question is that part of uh, usually the stages of a business is you have to get your model really, really tight and clear. And usually that means that you are the one as CEO, you are the main, main executor of the services. Once you get that super, super tight and then you move and shift your your model into scaling, then the next phase of of business is actually building the systems to institutionalize your your intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And when I say intellectual property, that could either mean your framework, your knowledge, your philosophy. You create systems to institutionalize your intellectual property. And then you begin to bring on other people to onboard and train them in your intellectual property to then replicate yourself and scale and grow. So I love this question around employees. And I just want to underscore the level of a business structure and foundation that you have to set straight. So uh, the analogy I like to make is as a school, because a school is a business. And mm-hmm. as a former principal, this is one of the analogies that I make. Even though nobody reads the staff handbook, everybody should. <laughs> but as a business, you also need to have a staff handbook, which is called SOP, Standard Operating Procedures. That is what allows you to scale and hire employees. If you haven't written down a single thing in terms of your intellectual property and or your standard operating procedures, you are not ready to hire. You're not ready to hire. And maybe, and actually, let me, let me rephrase that. Your first hire needs to be someone to help you do that. Uh So that might be a virtual assistant, an executive assistant. Uh So that way you can create that foundation before you, you begin to bring folks on and onboarding. Okay. One other question. How did you approach your first district or did you reach out at a smaller level? So one of the things I had to get clear about is who is receiving my services and who's the buyer. And that in school districts, that gets a little funky sometimes, right? Sometimes the person buying is not the person receiving the services. And so for me, I only spoke to my coaches. I did not approach districts at all right now. I'm, I'm really, I'm working to have my coaches see the value in my program and they go back to their schools and school districts 
and, and, and kind of, you know, work with them on their end. Yep. Got it. Got it. And I see one comment here. I just want to clarify because this is for uh, Andrea. You don't need to institutionalize your intellectual property and develop SOPs before an LLC. You can still get the LLC. You most certainly want to do that before scaling and being replicating yourself. So almost think of it like you're hiring at a school. If you just hire a teacher, but you have no onboarding, you have no staff handbook, you have no procedures and orientation for how people do things, you cannot replicate your values. You can't replicate your your services. You are now leaving it open to people's individual interpretations, and and now you leave it open to inconsistency. So, um, just wanted to clarify that that it's it's not do that first and then LLC. LLC you want to do when you are clear on your lane, as Becca yeah. named before, yeah. and you have generated a significant enough of revenue uh-huh. that and where the tax benefits for LLCs actually are beneficial. So if you're not already in my private Facebook group, go ahead and you should join. The link is in my bio because I actually just did a video last week on LLCs that explain more about that. All right, Becca, how can people connect with you if they want to reach out, if they want to learn more about your services or if they're an instructional coach and they want your support, what, what should they do? Yeah, um, Instagram would be great. So I'm under the whole educator. So if you want to connect with me on Instagram, that would be great. I say Instagram right now is my main social media that I'm on. So yeah, connect with me there. I'd love to chat. Yay. Awesome. Becca, thank you. You dropped gems tonight. This was so great. This was so you dropped gems. Yeah, this is this was so, so good. And I'm just so grateful that we had this time in this conversation. I am grateful for you and your business. I'm grateful for your talents and and gifts that you are betting on yourself and putting out into the world because you are creating change that our world needs. And so I'm so incredibly thankful for you. But thank you for everyone who, who joined tonight and to the question around the Facebook group, you can join now. All right. Have a good evening and thank you again, Becca. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Bye. Bye.